In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlet Case. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Alex Panetta. If you don't support our police, and we're seeing stabbings in the subway, uh, you know, car thefts coming out of our, our gazoo, and uh, just enough's enough. we we got to put more money into policing, and there was a couple candidates... If you've been hearing about Ontario Premier Doug Ford lately, you're probably hearing about one of two things. One, his latest changes to policing in the province. We need reinforcements. We need more police officers on our streets, as we say, boots on the ground. That's why today... Two, his big plan for the redevelopment of a parcel of public land on Toronto's waterfront, known as Ontario Place, which includes a sprawling private spa. This is, first of all, going to be a world-class destination. You know, it doesn't come without bumps and hurdles. Uh, As one might imagine, his critics aren't impressed and are asking who these moves are actually for. Government side, come to order. Failed failed to show Ontarians what value this deal has for the people of this province. They failed to produce the contracts. They failed to provide the business case. Speaker, Ontarians deserve to know, and I'm going to go back to the Premier again, when will this government come clean about this backroom deal? Today, my colleague covering Ontario Provincial Affairs, Mike Crawley, is here to talk about what Ford's been up to lately and who benefits. Hi, Mike. Hey, Alex. Okay, so before we get into the specifics of what Doug Ford has announced in terms of policing in Ontario, maybe you can start by giving me a bit of the context. So why is Ford out there uh, talking about police and putting police boots on the ground, as he puts it uh, right now? Well, he's been talking about a a spike in crime. Here in Toronto, major crimes are up over 20% compared to the same time last year. People don't feel safe. Some are scared to take the subway or to go out for a walk. And uh, there have certainly been a few high-profile violent crimes in in Toronto, uh, as well in in other parts of Ontario, that have gotten a lot of public attention. So there's there's a perception of a a rise in crime, and Ford's solution that he's uh, uh, proffering for this is to have more police out there. How accurate is the perception? Is is it grounded in reality? Yeah, if you look at the stats, uh, Alex, certainly... um, the, the 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 long-term trend for a long period of time in Canada, as in Ontario as it is across North America, has been a decline in in crime since the early 90s. But then things have changed a little bit in the in the past few years. And and Statistics Canada does seem to suggest there's been a bit of an increase in in violent crime since about 2015. But the degree to which there has been this increase is uh, probably less than the perception and the fear, right? These high-profile incidents, we cover them in the media, they draw a lot of attention, and the political response in this case from Ford is, you know, we need more cops. And there's certainly a debate about whether that's the the right solution. 
Okay, so we, we know Doug Ford is a big supporter of the police. And he's been vocal about his appreciation for police even just a couple of months ago when he was being grilled by reporters about his daughter's stag and doe party that was attended by developers. He said the majority of people there in attendance were actually cops and that he supports them. And by the way, the vast majority of people were there. My daughters are all, well, three out of four are with police officers. The place was packed full of police officers. And by the way, they're champions. We support them. And... Uh, that's what I have to say about And, you know, I, I understand uh, there are a few things he's announced here, and one of them has to do with covering police education costs. Uh, what's Ford's plan here? So everyone who works as a police officer in Ontario has to go through a, a course, a constable training. It's provided at the Ontario Police College or the Toronto Police College. And uh, what Doug Ford announced is free tuition at this uh, at these colleges. And so that's about $15,000, that course. And it was oh. uh, the officers were paying that. And it's not your typical you know, university or college course. You actually take it only once you've been hired. So it's a prerequisite oh. to actually do the job. But you only go to that college once the police force has said, yeah, we're going to hire you. Then you go to it. But it's a it's a significant cost to taxpayers. It's going to be somewhere between 20 and $30 million a year of uh, free education for these uh, police officers. Okay. So yeah, in addition to free education, you've got another piece which has to do with the level of education you need to become a cop, right? Can, can you walk me through that? So what Ontario uh, announced is that th the government is not going to go ahead with a plan to increase the education that was required to uh, serve as a police officer. So right now, what's on the books is you only actually need high school education to uh, qualify as a police officer. But the government had actually brought in legislation a few years ago to increase that requirement. The, the legislation actually passed, and what it said was you're going to have to have some post-secondary, either a, a degree or some uh, actual uh, college diploma, but then the government actually never enacted the legislation or brought it into force. So it was there on the books. And so mm. the announcement was that Ontario would not move ahead with this. And uh, the justification that I got from uh, the government is that police forces and uh, the police associations, the police unions, had pushed back against this and said it was going to uh, have an impact on their ability to recruit. Um, so, you know, we'll get to the recruitment uh, issue in a second, but I think it's worth noting that the Mass Casualty Commission in Nova Scotia, something front burners covered extensively, uh, looked at policing failures during the port of Pick massacre. And one of their recommendations as to how policing should change, it's, well, it said the exact opposite of what Ford's doing here. It said, you know, barely a month ago uh, that, you know, more education would be useful for police officers. So, so why is that? Yeah, so the Mass Casualty Commission said that uh, policing across Canada should require a, a standardized three-year post-secondary program. And the recommendation uh, from the commission to the public safety minister, the federal public safety minister, was to work with the provinces to make this the, the requirement. The, the research that uh, the commission did showed that uh, police with higher levels of education uh, were basically better trained uh, to be police officers to deal with uh, uh, alternatives to, to, to the use of force. And one of the examples that they put forward was uh, Finland, uh, which has a, a post-secondary requirement. And mm. that was seen to be quite successful in, in reducing unjustified use of force uh, by police officers. Mm. 
Okay, so then let's talk about the sort of the, the the pretext for all of this is is police struggling with recruitment. Are police even really struggling with recruitment? It's a really good question, Alex. Uh, I think the the answer is it depends on what you mean by struggling. If you compare policing to, let's say, some professions that are you know really in ac- acute recruitment struggles right now, like nursing, uh, the childcare uh, sector, um, even construction. You know, they are struggling to fill jobs. What the police forces are seeing is they are actually seeing fewer people apply to become police officers, but they're still getting dramatically more people applying than they have positions. So, like, let's take, for example, uh, Hamilton. They told us uh, a couple of years ago that they would have 2,000 applicants and they're typically hiring, say, 30, 40, 50 cops in a given year. Last year, that came down to a 1,000 people. Uh, actually applying to be police officers. So there's no shortage of people who want to be police officers, but there is definitely a drop in the number of people uh, applying. So are are we hearing anything from, say, nurses or other public sector workers about this idea that police get a free education, but not them? There was definitely a lot of uh, complaint about that. And, you know, in the defense of the Ford government, they have brought in a few programs to incentivize uh, some uh, nursing training, for instance, and some training for uh, uh, personal support workers who would, uh, for instance, work in in nursing homes or in home care. Uh, But a lot of that is related to um, uh, the location of where uh, nurses would work. Uh, There's also some incentives, say, for doctors to work in some of the more rural and remote areas that relate to kind of rebating your education, uh, but uh, a blanket free tuition uh, for police officers who, of course, you know, remember now only need high school education, so they don't have to actually go to any sort of post-secondary like like nurses and and doctors do. Uh, There's a certain amount of resentment that uh, the Ford government doesn't necessarily have uh, its priorities in the right place. At least that's what we're hearing from from, uh, people in the nursing sector. So I want to pivot now to another part of uh, uh, Ford's plan that's attracted a bit of controversy, and, and, and those are his plans for Ontario Place. So uh, can you tell me as a non-Ontarian, what was Ontario Place in its heyday, and what is it now? So Ontario Place is on uh, the, the water uh, on Lake Ontario. Uh, it's actually just fairly close to where I live, so I actually go past it uh, and through it frequently. It's a lovely place to jog along. It's a, a gorgeous, you know, real jewel on the waterfront. The decision to go offshore gave the project a chance to grow into something really worthwhile. It helped the architects come up with a completely new pavilion design, a building that takes advantage of both the land and the water. It's just to the west of downtown, uh, uh, downtown Toronto, and it's provincially owned land. It was developed uh, in the early 70s under a progressive conservative government, and uh, it had a, and still has a, a geodesic dome with an IMAX cinema inside it. Ladies and gentlemen, the next performance in Cinesphere begins in approximately 10 minutes. May we suggest you proceed to Cinesphere now to ensure a good seat for this showing. There's an outdoor concert venue. And it gave us room to build boutiques and restaurants, to include an 8,000-capacity outdoor amphitheater. And back in its heyday, it was a real destination for families. You know, there was an outside water park and lots of places for kids to to play. It was very family-oriented. And this is our place, Ontario Place. 
And then over time, it kind of saw better days. And, and uh, by the time uh, I moved to, tr to Toronto in uh, the late 2000s, it looked kind of sad. It had that um, mm. <laughs> feeling like an abandoned amusement park uh, after they, they closed the water park. It just was kind of dead. And then the previous liberal government actually closed it. They shut it down entirely for uh, years because it was bleeding money and uh, set about on a plan to redevelop it that uh, basically took forever. Uh, the only thing that the previous Obama government did was they re uh, redeveloped a, a small strip on the eastern side of it into a, a park. Gorgeous park, but there was still a whole bunch of Ontario Place left uh, with nothing really going on in it. So, you know, it stands to reason if you've got this public land sitting there kind of underused, well-located, the premier wants to change that. And what's his plan to do that? So Doug Ford had some really big ideas. He he talked about wanting to uh, turn Ontario Place into a world-class destination. And so they got elected in 2018. And over the course of time, there were various ideas being floated. There were concerns that, you know, potentially uh, there was going to be some kind of development on it in the way of uh, condos, uh, possibly, uh, maybe a, a casino. Doug Ford has a bit of a, a track record of uh, floating waterfront development ideas when he was a city councillor in Toronto and his brother, the late Rob Ford, was mayor of Toronto. They had an idea for some city-owned uh, land on the, on the waterfront in Toronto to have a, a casino and a, a giant Ferris wheel. Some of the things that could be there, uh, the world's largest Ferris wheel. Yeah, well, just the, these are just visions and, and ideas that uh, people have brought forward. Uh, what we'd like to do is have a, a monorail system that, that's running uh, right from Pan Am Games right along the lakefront and stops at Union Station and Ontario Place and uh, right right uh, across the front of the lake. And then the uh, next stop would be the, the Mega Mall. It would be 1.6 million square feet of one of the most prestigious malls uh, in Canada would uh, try to attract Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's. So people's antenna were up about what is Doug Ford going to do uh, with Ontario Place. So eventually uh, the government had uh, consultations. They uh, appointed a, a special advisor about what to do with Ontario Place. And then uh, over the course of, of the past year, started revealing the plans. We're building a world-class year-round destination. You remember when we grew up, you could only come here in the summer. This is going to be year-round destination that's fun for families and students and tourists to enjoy for generations to come. It'll be a place to open... For okay, so what is the plan? So right now the plan is a giant spa. Imagine a place of well-being that connects us, entertains us, and transforms us from something you dream about into something we live. Uh, it, from a, a European uh, spa company called Therme. Welcome to Therma Canada Ontario Place. There would be a uh, massive parking garage underneath. The spa uh, would cover pretty much one third of the land of uh, Ontario Place. There'd be a little strip of public access around uh, the water's edge, but you know, a big chunk of this. Uh, property is being given over to a, a, a spa company on what has been reported to be a 95-year lease uh, from uh, the provincial government. Now, the, the mm. province hasn't confirmed that, uh, but they're not denying it either. Much of the, the rest of Ontario Place would be uh, devoted to uh, a redevelopment of the existing 
outdoor uh, music venue. So that would be expanded. So you'd have about a third of the, the property covered by the spa, a third of the property covered by uh, the the outdoor music venue, and then some of the rest would be various uh, park like uh, places, uh, public access, and the presence of the Ontario Science Center, uh, which uh, would move uh, from its current location to Ontario Place. Right, and there has been some controversy over this science center part of the plan, mostly centered on the affection for the building it's in now, and the way it serves the neighborhood it's in now. But let's talk a bit more about the spa part of this plan. Why are critics unhappy with this idea? There's basically a feeling that uh, a big chunk of publicly owned land right on the waterfront in in uh, Toronto is being handed over to a private company in a deal that we don't really know a lot about. So the government hasn't made public uh, the lease. It's been reported that it's a 95-year lease, which you know is a long period of time to hand over public land to uh, uh, to a private company. Uh, there's concern about the fact that taxpayers are going to be paying for uh, the the parking garage that's part of that building, uh, almost a half a billion dollars for for uh, the, for the parking garage. Uh, and there's you know just generally concern about um, the lack of public access uh, to to this part of Ontario Place. Uh, it would mean that if you want to go there, you got to pay to go into the spa. And is that really what public land on the waterfront should be all about? Hey, it's Jeff Blair. And I'm Kevin Barker. Join us for in-depth coverage on everything surrounding the Toronto Blue Jays and the biggest stories across Major League Baseball with the best guests in the game and, of course, first-class analysis. Ha! That's the smartest thing you've ever said, Jeff. See what I have to put up with? It's Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, and we played a clip at the beginning of this episode of the opposition NDP leader, Marit Stiles, saying basically this was a backroom deal he made with a private company on public land. And I wonder if part of the frustration you're hearing from his critics is basically part of a broader perception or critique of Ford and his relationship with the private sector and and, and how he weighs that against the public interest. This has been one of the knocks against Doug Ford pretty much since he became premier. Uh, for instance... He said he would never touch the the green belt, uh, uh, protected land around the greater Toronto area. Unequivocally, we won't touch the green belt. Uh, unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear. People don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. But then just uh, last fall announced that uh, some chunks of the green belt were going to be exempted. And so developers could who owned the property could build housing on it. We are developing right butt up against existing communities. One side of the road, there's communities, there's houses. On the other side of the road, there's a field. You know, his mantra during the first election was for the people, but some of the first things that, that the government did when they took power was to, you know, scrap increases to the minimum wage, make it more difficult to to join unions. So there's, there's you know, clearly a, a perception out there that, Doug Ford does things that favor uh, big business. And so, you know, any time that there are uh, uh, 
deals that happen that you know could be seen to be good for uh, the interests of business people are you know naturally going to kind of question whether the public interest is actually being served Doug Ford uh, still retains uh, uh, some political popularity, a fair bit of it. He's got some juice, and I'm just wondering about his his own role in the Toronto mayoral campaign. So let's let's talk a bit about this by-election to replace John Tory, uh, who resigned in the winter over an extramarital affair with a staffer. And interestingly, the two stories we've talked about today, I understand they intersect in one particular mayoral candidate. Can you talk to me about that? So I, I mentioned that uh, the government had hired a special advisor uh, on Ontario Place. Well, that special advisor was Mark Saunders, the former police chief of, uh, of Toronto, uh, also a former PC candidate uh, in the last uh, election, uh, and also a mayoral candidate in this, in this coming election. What is happening in our city? Crime and disorder is out of control and the city politicians are failing us. I'm Mark Saunders, and I'm running to be your mayor. I was a cop for 38 years, and I've never seen things this bad. And no So Doug Ford, you know, at the very beginning said that he wasn't going to get involved in the, in the mayoral race. I'll work with anyone, so it doesn't matter who, who gets elected. And uh, I'm, I'm staying out of that election. So, well, good luck to all of them. I, I encourage you to, to run and... All the very best. It's uh, tough putting your name forward. So, But then very quickly afterwards, he started stating his opinion, at least. Well, if a lefty mayor gets in there, God help the people of Toronto. And there was a couple candidates uh, that are running, that are sitting councillors, that voted to defund the police. The people that voted for defund the police don't vote for them. Simple as that. Um, we, can't, we can't have anarchy in our cities. People and being scared. A lot of what Doug Ford has said has kind of indicated that he's subtly, uh, you know, implicitly, if not explicitly, actually endorsing Mark Saunders as the best person to be to be mayor of Toronto. Um, and so I just referred to, earlier to, you know, Doug Ford and whether he's got any political juice in the city. So, you know, what effect do you think that could have, like his involvement in, in the campaign? And what role do you see him playing? Well, look, he, he just won a majority. Uh, he is... Uh, arguably the most uh, powerful conservative politician in Canada. And, you know, he takes a great interest in what goes on at Toronto City Hall. Uh, this is in part because of of the time that he spent there as a councillor and a, and a very close advisor to, to his brother when he was the mayor. Um, also, Doug Ford has done a lot of things as premier that have an impact on uh, Toronto and, and how City Hall works. So, you know, one of his his first acts uh, was to uh, cut down the size of Toronto City Council. Uh, his government recently uh, brought in and, and brought in legislation to reduce the city's ability to charge developers fees for uh, new infrastructure. Last year, uh, Doug Ford agreed to give John Tory extra powers as mayor. We call them strong mayor powers. Effectively, what it means is whoever's mayor of Toronto. Uh, can have their agenda move forward through council, even if they don't get a majority of councillors uh, approving things. So uh, basically, the, the the mayor can pass uh, bylaws on certain priorities, a lot of them related to housing, 
even if they only have one third of the council there. So all of this is related to stuff that the the, the powerful premier has done. And a lot of the debate in the mayoral by-election is about uh, the, how the mayor, the new mayor, is going to relate with Doug Ford. How will they be able to, you know, negotiate with them? Will they be able to to fight with him? Uh, will will the new mayor, you know, just do whatever it is that Doug Ford wants? Yeah. That, so that's a big part of the debate that's going on with this uh, mayoral campaign. Toronto mayoral election is June twenty sixth. Doug Ford's term as premier lasts another three years. Thanks a lot, Mike. You're welcome, Alex. I'm Alex Panetta. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you all tomorrow. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.